Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. In 2016, Sotheby's uh, sent a few paintings that were suspected of being forgeries into the FBI to have them looked at. And what the FBI did is uh, they used detailed technology such as x-rays and uh, infrared reflectography. And when an authentic painting is placed under an x-ray, what they're able to actually be able to see is the artist's original work that may have had been abandoned. So maybe they started on something and then they covered it up, uh, or maybe they could see uh, certain uh, places where they may have started to sketch something and then it had been covered up uh, later on with something else. So it's, uh, you know, reused canvas, all that could be seen. And in this case, when they put those paintings under the x-ray, those paintings actually ended up being, uh, turned out to be forgeries. The verses that we're going to look at today, Paul is beginning his letter thanking them how the gospel has authentically changed their life. It was a reality. Just like an x-ray revealed the true makeup of a false and authentic painting, God's word reveals what a real Christian is. You know, I think all of us value uh, authenticity in our lives and should value it, especially when it comes to our faith. But how can we know if our faith is genuine? What are the marks of authentic Christianity? Many of the uh, Colossian Christians had been unsettled by some of these uh, false teachers that had been promoting all kinds of stuff uh, there within the church. Um, They were telling these uh, new believers that they needed to observe certain holidays or uh, certain traditions. Uh, Many of them tried to uh, try to persuade them to observe certain aspects of the law. And if you don't do this, then maybe you really aren't saved. Um, They implied that the gospel which Epaphras had taught the Colossians was not complete or totally accurate. They needed to add the insights and rules of of these false teachers to be genuine believers. And so Paul writes to this church to assure them that the gospel that they have believed in uh, was the genuine item. It proved its authenticity by the fruit that it had produced in them, as we'll we'll see as we uh, look at some of these verses here this morning. So Paul is going to remind these believers of their genuine faith in Jesus and how the gospel has really shaped their lives. And really, that's what the gospel should be doing. It should be shaping us, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, If you've had an encounter with the resurrected Lord Jesus then your life should be dramatically different in every way. And so the gospel should be shaping your life from what it used to be to what it should be. And so with God's word as the x-ray, is your life shaped by the gospel? Would it reveal an authentic truth or an elaborate forgery? 
So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. A life that has been transformed and shaped by the gospel will be authentic in faith, hope, and love. A life that has been transformed and shaped by the gospel will be authentic in faith, hope, and love. So let's take notice here of our text here in Colossians 1, 3 through 8. Paul writes, he says, We always thank God for the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the world, in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you and is indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so as we begin reading what Paul says here, he's giving thanks to God when he prays for them. And he was thankful for these believers, and he was telling them and writing them uh, about some things. And remember where Paul was at this time. He was in prison. Epaphras had, had come and, and, and told him about what was going on in the church there. And, and Paul writes them, Paul never met these believers. He didn't plant this church. Epaphras did. And Epaphras is telling him of all these things that are happening. And so Paul's reminding them. He's saying, listen, I, I'm really thankful for you because I've heard of your faith from Epaphras. I've heard about how the gospel has transformed your life and what it really has done. And really, that's exactly what the gospel does. It changes people's lives. Notice how it changed these people living in Colossae that Paul heard about. He says that we heard of your faith in Christ. A real Christian has faith, but not just saying, I have faith. You know, I find it interesting. You talk to individuals sometimes, and you begin to uh, witness to them and tell them about Christ and tell them about faith in Christ. And a lot of times you'll hear things say, well, I have faith. Okay, but faith in what? Faith in what? It's good that you have faith, but that faith must be placed in something. Faith in what? Faith in a church? Faith in a confession? Faith in a baptism? Faith in good works? What? Faith in what? It should be faith in Christ. God's Word accurately defines what faith is for us in Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. Commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And so lots of people talk about having faith, and so faith is putting confidence or trust in something or someone. These Christians had faith in Jesus Christ. That's very important. Notice these words Paul uses here to describe how they came to having faith in Christ. Verse number 5, you have faith heard in the word of the truth, the gospel. 
Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by what? The Word of God. And so God is at work when the gospel goes forth, and people hear the good news, the gospel, God is at work drawing people unto Himself. And so faith then becomes that, that, that part where people then put that faith, they put that confidence, they put that trust in what they have heard, the gospel, and heard and about with Jesus Christ. And so by hearing of this gospel message, Paul describes what happened. They heard, they learned, he says, they understood this gospel message that was taught to them by Epaphras. A real Christian has faith in Christ, and that faith in Christ is what Christ has done for us. This is part of the gospel message. Some claim to believe in Jesus, but if you ask them to explain the gospel, they can't even really tell you what the gospel is. It's real important that we understand what the gospel is, because our faith should be safely and secure in Christ and Christ alone. And so to have genuine faith in Christ, you must understand the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, first of all, the gospel is good news. This is what the people living in Colossae heard. They heard the good news, the truth, the gospel. They heard it, they understood it, and learned it from this fellow servant, Epaphras. The Christian message is not primarily an ethical or moral code of do's and don'ts and uh, trying to be good or trying to be moral or trying to do your best or uh, trying to, to please God in doing this or not doing that. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is good news to those who deserve God's judgment. As the angel announced to the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born in Luke 2.10, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so to understand the good news, we must first understand the bad news. We all have sinned and deserve God's righteous judgment. We stand before God guilty and condemned, and we cannot save ourselves. That's why we need a Savior. If you could be saved any other way except through Jesus Christ, then why is Jesus on the cross? You see, Jesus being put on a cross and dying a death that He did not deserve speaks volumes of our guilt and our sin. Jesus, the eternal God who took on human flesh through the virgin birth, is the Savior whom God sent to bear our punishment on the cross. The good news is that the, the God offers salvation is a free gift to every sinner who does not try to work for it. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." And it's God who justifies the ungodly is what Romans 4, 5 says. It's a gift and you can't do enough good works for salvation. And so there's no other better news than that to know that a person who stands condemned and guilty before God can now be forgiven, can have their sins pardoned. 
not by any merit of their own, but solely based upon the mercy of Jesus Christ as a free gift. Secondly, the gospel changes us. Notice again that Paul in verse number 6, look what he says. He says, this gospel, the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. And so the gospel is bearing fruit and it's increasing. Since they heard it and they understood the gospel, the gospel has begun this fruit-bearing process in our lives. And by the way, if you have been radically changed by Jesus Christ, there should be fruit in your life to prove that. These believers were changed by the gospel and there was fruit or evidence of a changed life. Has the gospel changed your life? How do you know? Is it because now all of a sudden you've decided to try to start doing good things? Is it because you are now repenting of sin and believing more and more of what God's Word says? Or is it just maybe you've tried to become more moral? Has the gospel changed your life? The Colossians were mostly uh, Gentile pagans. They were living for the lust of the flesh. And so when the gospel came to them, it transformed their very way of living. When God opened their minds to understand, their hearts to respond, and their wills to believe, they were dramatically changed. You see, there is a great power of change that happens when a person believes the gospel. I love what Paul writes in, uh, in, to the Corinthian church. He says, you are the epistle of Christ, not written with, with ink and paper, but it's written on the fleshly tables of your heart. And so God's word should change us in so much that we become a living epistle of Christ's work in our lives, of what God has done in our lives. And there's fruit when that happens. Internally, the gospel bears the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of believers. It gradually but inevitably changes their thinking and behavior. Externally, the gospel increases as transformed believers tell others about the good news. Paul emphasizes this powerful effect of the gospel to underscore its authenticity. He says, it's known in the whole world of what has happened here, that it's bearing fruit and increasing. And so this gospel, the true gospel that Epaphras had proclaimed in Colossae had changed their lives and also the lives of others as it spread out even all over the entire Roman Empire. Authentic Christians understand and believe Christ's gospel. And so upon hearing the gospel, because they heard the truth of the gospel, who Jesus is, what he did, understanding grace, the unmerited favor of God, these people put their faith and trust in Jesus. That's why he says, we have heard of your faith in what? In Christ, because you heard the gospel, you understood what it was. God has revealed these things to you. They didn't have faith in religion or a system of beliefs or a philosophy. They had faith in Jesus who resurrected from the dead. 
Our faith must be in all that Christ is and all that he did for us on the cross. Saving faith is always in the person of Jesus Christ. Not just in doctrines or stories about him. You can, you can watch the, uh, the Passion of the Christ. You can listen to Bible story after Bible story after Bible story about who Jesus is. But if your faith is not in Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus Christ and Him alone, it does you no good. So you must have faith in Christ. And so if you want to be saved from the penalty of your sin to be delivered from the consequence of your sins and not face eternal judgment and damnation, then you must put your faith in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord and Savior. And so faith is so important because faith has no merit in itself, but rather is only as valid as its object. And in this case, they had faith in Christ. Christ alone saves You can have all the faith in the world in a defective airplane, but guess what? That airplane's not going to fly. Many of the cults claim to have faith in Jesus, but their Jesus is a false Jesus. It's a different Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible as it's been revealed in the truthfulness of God's Word. And so your faith must be in the revealed Jesus of the Word of God and God. And in that alone. But the point here is that we are not only to believe correct teaching about Jesus Christ, but also to believe in Christ himself. He alone is our Savior. It's no wonder why Paul could write to them and and say, hey, I'm thankful, I'm thankful for your faith in Jesus, because they had placed their faith in Christ, the King who ruled all kings. They depended on Jesus as the center of their lives. He thanked God that they found their identity, their value, their authority, not from any earthly authority such as Caesar, but from Jesus. Think with me just for a moment. What authority do you or I look to or trust to to try to gain our identity? Is it Jesus and Jesus alone? Is it faith in the government or a political system? Is it faith in our employer or a skill set we have? Is it faith in our friends or family? Is it faith in our material goods? Where do we gain our sense of identity from? It should be from Jesus and Jesus alone. That's why he says to them, hey, I'm thankful, I'm writing to you, I'm thankful that you have your faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you have faith in Jesus you're a Christian, then the gospel should have shaped your life in such a way that your identity comes ultimately from Jesus Christ. Paul actually says this very well in Colossians 3, 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So is your faith in Christ? Has your life been shaped so much in such a way That Christ is your life, that you have faith in Christ, and not just for salvation. This is your life. This is everything who you are as a believer in Jesus. So a gospel-shaped Christian has faith. Let's look at a second thing here. A gospel-shaped Christian has love. 
Notice what else Paul points out as he gives thanks for these believers. Because they have believed the gospel. Not only do they have faith in Christ, but now they have a love for all the saints. Notice he doesn't say here. Look what he says. He says, since we heard, verse number four, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. All the saints. He doesn't just say some of the saints or the ones you get along with or the ones you like or the ones you have something in common with or the ones who respect you or the ones who listen to you, but all the saints. You think about how this looked in this church because in this church it probably included both Jew and Gentile. There was some hostility there between uh, those two groups of people. Culturally, um, even uh, racially. But here the gospel had transformed their lives in such a way that they were able to look past now the cultural differences, the racial differences, and they said, this is now my brother or my sister in Christ, and we have a love for one another. The gospel changed that. The gospel created a love among the Colossians for their Jewish brothers and their sisters and vice versa. Having a love for God and others has always been a, a mark of a life that has been changed by Jesus Christ. Love, in fact, is one of the major themes that Paul talks about and how it is always in connection with faith in Christ. Notice how Paul puts it here in, uh, in Colossians 1.4. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ, Jesus, and of the love. So you have faith in Christ and love together. We also see these true statements that Paul gives us. For example, Ephesians 1.15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, Because we recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 3.6, But now Timothy has come to us from you and given us the good news of your faith and love and that you always think of us with affection and long to see us just as we also long to see you. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith flourishes more and more, and the love of each one of you all for one another is even greater. 1 Timothy 1.14 And our Lord's grace was abundant, bringing faith and love in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.13 Hold to the standard of sound words that you've heard from me and do so with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Philemon 5. In fact, Philemon was one of the believers that were living here at Colossae. He had a runaway slave, Onesimus. Paul actually talks to him about some of this stuff. Philemon 5, because I hear of your love, because I hear of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision carries any weight. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. And I'm sure that all of us are pretty familiar with Paul's uh, major treaty that he gives to us in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. I, I found it kind of interesting that uh, I was watching the news and uh, 
there in the, uh, on the lawn of the White House, there was a picture, this was, this was on Valentine's Day, they had a picture of a dog with a heart, and it says, now abides faith, uh, love, and uh, hope, but the greatest of these is love. And, well, that's pretty interesting that they would have that there. But in 1 Corinthians 13, listen to what Paul says about what real love is. Verses 1 through 3, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I receive no benefit. Verse 13, he says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You see, love is the distinguishing mark of Christianity. As Jesus said in John 13, uh, 4-35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Can I ask you, is there a Christian brother or sister here, perhaps even maybe in this fellowship, in this faith family, that for some reason you find it difficult to love them? Maybe you just don't see eye to eye on the way that they see things. Maybe it's just they just rub you the wrong way, okay? But the gospel should have such an impact upon your life that it shapes who you are as an individual, that you have a love for them. How can you change that? I believe it is through the power of the gospel. You you reflecting on Christ's love for you. Notice Paul's words here in verses 7 and 8. Look what he says here. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant... He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us, notice this, don't miss this, your love in the what? The Spirit. Capital S. Authentic Christian love is in the Spirit. It's spiritual. It's Holy Spirit spiritual love. You can't fake it. You can't sit there and try to muster it up yourself. It is a total act of God working in you to love somebody that may not be very lovable. The Holy Spirit produces this love as His fruit in believers' lives. The flesh is basically very self-serving, resulting in the deeds of the flesh, which include is what Galatians 5, 20-21 says, Enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. But Paul describes the love which the Spirit produces for us in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. This, he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, if relationships were perfect or ideal, 
We wouldn't need the repeated commands to love one another. I am just as guilty of my own life. I have individuals, even family in my own life, that I find it very difficult to love. But if the gospel has changed my life and if it is shaping my life, then I should be allowing the Holy Spirit to give me that spirit-filled love towards that individual. Not because they deserve it, because I didn't deserve love. But God in His grace and His mercy chose to love me. Not because I was loving. He loved us at our worst is what Romans 5, 8 tells us, right? But God commendeth, God showcased His love toward us in that while what? We were sinners. Christ died for us. You know, love would not need to be patient if the other person were not irritating you. It would not need to be kind or not jealous or not provoked if the other person always acted in a loving way towards you. We all must battle this flesh daily by denying self, seeking the other person's highest good, sacrificial love for others, just as Jesus loved us. He tells us in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and live in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. You see, the gospel does some amazing, powerful workings in our lives if we allow it to. Paul calls it the fruit of the gospel here, transformed lives. Our faith in Jesus, our love for each other, our good works, the gospel creates a life marked by love. And so their love for the saints was a God-empowered, spirit-saturated, supernatural love because it was in the spirit, is what he says. And the only way that you and I will ever love that way that Christ has loved us is through the power of the Holy Spirit. He enables us to love that way. So has the gospel shaped our lives in love? If our lives were put under the x-ray of God's word, would it find a life of faith and love? Would it be there? This was true of this church in Colossae. How do I know that? Because these are spirit-inspired words that Paul wrote here. So it was absolutely true. It wasn't just this thing of like, well, I think it might be true. The Holy Spirit moved Paul in such a way to write these words, and they were true words. It was authentic in their life. And I pray that that will be that way in our life as well. There's a third thing here that Paul talks about. And he talks about this hope, this hope that is laid up for them and what that hope looks like and what it means and how the hope has shaped and transformed their life. And next week, we'll, we'll look at that. But uh, let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.